Our scripture reading this today is from John chapter 12, verses 1 through 11, starting with John chapter 12, verse 1. Six days before the Passover, when Jesus therefore came to Bethany, where, Je where Lazarus was, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. So they gave a dinner for him there. Martha served, and Lazarus was one of those reclining with him at table. Mary, therefore, took a pound of expensive ointment made from pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But Judas Iscariot, one of his disciples, he who was about to betray him, said, Why was this ointment not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? He said this not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief and having charge of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. Jesus said, leave her alone so that she may keep it for the day of my burial. For the poor you always have with you, but you do not always have me. When the large crowd of Jews learned that Jesus was there, they came not only on account of him, but also to see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. So the chief priest made plans to put Lazarus to death as well, because on account of him, many of the Jews were going away and believing in Jesus. This is the word of the Lord. Be to God. Please be seated. Let's pray once again. Father, this morning we have already sung that we need you. We need you every second, every hour. We, we need you right now to help us understand and apply the contents of this wonderful text. Father, we confess that nothing good will happen in any of our hearts or lives unless you move by the power of your spirit. Father, we pray that you would guard my lips very carefully and have me only say what you want me to say this morning and nothing more and nothing less. We want to worship you as a result of the truths of this text. We pray all these things in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Jane and Joe, two fictional characters, have been married for 19 years. For their 20th anniversary, Joe wants to go all out and he wants to get Jane an extravagant gift. There's only one problem. They don't have a whole lot of money. So, Joe sells his golf clubs, his power tools, his guns, and his fishing boat, and then he sells his Seahawks season tickets. All his friends thought he was crazy. They thought he was nuts. But Joe wanted to dig even deeper for Jane. He was not done. He sacrificed even more. He sold his brand new Harley Davidson. I guess he wasn't that poor after all. <laughs> And then he decided to go to the local plasma donation center and commit to giving plasma every week for a year. Jane melted when she opened that little box on their anniversary and pulled out two two-carat diamond earrings. Now, why in the world did Joe give so much? Why did he sacrifice so much? Why such extravagance? for his wife, Jane? Well, the answer is simple. Joe really loved Jane. 
And this brings us to another story of extravagant love, a true story. John 12, 1 to 11 is a fantastic story of an incredibly extravagant gift. Mary gives a gift of great wealth to Jesus. And this story is meant to force us to ask one simple, hard-to-ask question. (laughs) And that is, are you and I willing to give God out of our extravagance? Are we willing to make great sacrifices to give to him? Well, let's find out. The story unfolds with three scenes, extravagance displayed, extravagance denounced, and extravagance defended. First, extravagance displayed. Look with me at verses 1 to 3 of John 12. Verse 1, six days before the Passover, Jesus therefore came to Bethany, where Lazarus was, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. So they gave a dinner for him there. Martha served, and Lazarus was one of those reclining with him at table. A few weeks before the story, as many of you remember, uh, Jesus performed an incredible miracle. He raised Lazarus from the dead, and now this family uh, is celebrating that miracle. They're honoring Jesus with a feast in the home of Lazarus. Verse 3, Mary therefore took a pound of expensive ointment made from pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. Now, at some point during this feast, Mary gets up from her seat, pulls out a pound of perfume, carefully walks over to Jesus, and according to the parallel accounts, she pours a pound of perfume all over his body, starting with his head. Just imagine all that perfume running down his hair, down his face, down his back, down his chest, on his legs, on his feet. Jesus was soaked in perfume. A pound of perfume is a lot of perfume. So much perfume, the whole house reeked, the text says. Now, I'm sure that while she performed this act of extravagant devotion, all the guests wondered what in the world she was doing. They were probably shocked, surprised, stunned. I'm sure some whispered, what is she doing? That is a massive waste. Or why so much perfume? This was very expensive perfume. We learn later in the story that this perfume was worth essentially a year's wages. So if you're a manual laborer in this culture, um, you usually work 300 days a year, took the Sabbath off. That's a lot of work for a lot of wealth. In today's money, that would be thirty-five to $60,000. Imagine giving Jesus your brand new Toyota Sequoia worth forty-five, dollars $50,000 or a brand new Tesla or a brand new, I don't know, Ford F-150. That's a lot of generosity. That's a lot of extravagance. And she basically wasted all this perfume on Jesus. Then she wiped his feet with her hair, a remarkable act, since Jewish women rarely unbound their hair in public. This seems very odd to us, uh, but this was a demonstration of great personal devotion and love for Jesus. Side note, most scholars agree there was nothing sexual or romantic at all about what she did here. Summary, 
Mary brings out the best, most extravagant, most expensive perfume of the day, and she pours it all over Jesus. Her gift was a way of telling the world, there's nothing I value more than Jesus. She gave extravagantly, not sparingly, not half-heartedly. Robert Gilmore Letourneau was a prolific inventor in the earth-moving industry. His machines represented 70% of the earth-moving equipment used by U.S. forces in World War II. He was responsible for 300 patents, and he was worth billions in today's dollars. Early on in his life, he considered serving God as a pastor, but one of his pastor friends said, Robert, you can also serve God as a successful business owner. But early on, he was a miserable failure uh, in business. He went bankrupt as a young man, plunging $5,000 into debt, a large sum in his day. After lots of struggles and trials and travails, Credit to God and said, God, if you will help me, if you will bless me with my business, I will do a reverse tithe. I will give you 90% and I'll keep 10% for myself. And sure enough, God blessed Letourneau's socks off. He became exceedingly wealthy. And when he became wealthy, he did not forget his promise to God. And he performed a reverse tithe most of his life, giving away 90% of his wealth and keeping 10% for himself. He gave to God extravagantly. And by the way, God took care of him. Why did he not hoard all that wealth for himself? Imagine, billions and billions of dollars. Because he had extravagant love for the Savior. And he knew it's impossible to outgive God. He kept giving and giving and giving extravagantly to God, and God took care of him. He had extravagant love for the Savior. Now, the example of Mary and Robert Letourneau forces us to ask the question, what does extravagant love look like in our lives? And I must admit, if I'm being honest, this has been, for me personally, by far the most challenging section of John's gospel. Because I've been forced to ask the question all week, am I willing to give extravagantly, sacrificially to Christ and his kingdom? What does that look like for me and for you personally? For many of us, it means giving our wealth away. We believe at GCF that when we, when, we give, when we want to give to Christ, we give to primarily the body of Christ. We believe that Christians should give at least 10% to the local church. That's a, a, a good starting place in the new covenant. We believe that actually there really is no percentage in the new covenant. We believe in generous giving, but in the old covenant, they gave 23%, three tithes, uh, two every year and then a third every third year. So it seems to us like 10% is probably a good starting place for generous giving under the new covenant. Under the new covenant, we know so much more about God's grace, and we're filled with the Holy Spirit. So generous giving often starts with the local church. And over the years, I've been amazed at how many people have given sacrificially to this church. I was thinking this week about how several times we've received checks for $100,000 from the people of this church. One check. <laughs> and I mention that to inspire you. 
People give generously because their hearts have been transformed by the gospel. I read a story this week about a pastor who was willing to not take a salary for four months. And I thought, could I survive if I didn't take a salary for four months? I don't know. It'd be close. It'd be close. People often ask me, Dave, should I tithe on my net or my gross income? And my old boss used to say, do you want a net blessing or a gross blessing? The point here is that all of us should be asking ourselves the question, what does it look like for us to give extravagantly? And and by the way, this church needs money. We would love to expand our building. It's already too small. I don't have an office here. There's not enough space. We need more classroom space. We'd love to have money to bring on more interns, to plant more churches. So we would love it if God put it on your hearts to give us some big checks that we could use to advance God's kingdom. For most of us, again, extravagant love to the Savior looks like giving extravagantly to his body, the church. Keep in mind, we don't give to get. We don't give to earn God's favor. We already have God's favor through his son, Jesus Christ. We give away our money because we love Jesus. But it's not just money. Others should consider giving more time to the church serving more. Others should consider giving away their children. What do I mean by that? I heard a story this week about a mom who had a a daughter in her late teens, early 20s, who really wanted to serve on the mission field. And the mom put all kinds of pressure on her daughter to not do that because she really was worried about missing her daughter and her daughter's safety. After reading this text, she felt compelled and convicted to give her daughter away to Jesus and say, Jesus, I trust you with my daughter, and I'm going to allow her to go serve on the mission field. That was her way of giving extravagantly to the Savior. This raises the question, what is your most valued possession? For some, it's your bank account. For others, it's your position or title. For others, it's a relationship The question we must ask is this, are we willing to give our most treasured possession to Jesus? When was the last time you and I gave extravagantly to Jesus? No gift is too extravagant, why? Because God has given us the most extravagant gift imaginable. He's given us his own son. Jesus Christ is the king of kings. He's the Lord of lords. He's the alpha and the omega, the lion and the lamb. And he holds the universe together by the power of his word. He knows all things actual and possible. He is everywhere present. And most importantly, Jesus Christ is love personified. He came to earth and suffered and died on the cross in our place, to remove the guilt of all of our sins, that's what God has given us. In light of that, no gift to God is too extravagant. It almost seems like Mary's gift was way too small. Now, of course, God knew Mary's heart, and God was pleased with Mary's gift of extravagance. But no gift is too small because of what God has given us in a great act of sacrificial extravagance. 
Sadly, not everyone in the story was pleased with Mary's gift, which brings us to the second point. So first, extravagance displayed. Second, extravagance denounced. Look with me at verses 4 to 6. But Judas Iscariot, one of, the, one of his disciples, he who was about to betray him, said, why was this ointment not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? And again, one denarii was one day's wages. He's talking here about a significant amount of money, 300 days' wages, a year's wages, thirty to $55,000. It was an extravagant gift. Verse 6, he said this, not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. And having charge of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put in it. Judas did not care about the poor. All he cared about was the money that he could use to bless himself. As a result, he passionately denounces Mary's gift of extravagance. He was greedy. Prosperity preachers are guilty of a similar crime. They steal from God's people to reward themselves. This week I picked up a copy of a new book by Kosti Hinn, who is the nephew of prosperity preacher Benny Hinn, and the book is called God, Greed, and the Prosperity Gospel. He describes in this book traveling on Benny Hinn's $36 million Gulfstream jet, staying at the Burj Al Arab Hotel in Dubai for $25,000 a night, staying in ultra-luxurious villas on Lake Como in Italy, Staying at the Ritz-Carlton in Paris and L.A., shopping sprees at Harrods in London's, shopping sprees in Monte Carlo, being chauffeured around in Bentleys, Rolls Royces, and Maseratis. This is just the tip of the iceberg. And at one point, it dawned on Costi, who was working for his wealthy uncle, Benny Hinn, that all of the gifts given to Benny Hinn's ministry, mostly by poor people, were being used by Benny Hinn to serve himself. That's the prosperity gospel in a nutshell. And Judas was doing the exact same thing, using the gifts given to God and to God's servants to bless and prosper himself. Clearly, Judas loved money more than he loved Jesus. Eventually, he sold Jesus out for 30 pieces of silver, a paltry sum. How do we know if we love money or the things that money can buy more than Jesus. A couple indicators. We worry about money all the time. Are we gonna have enough? We constantly scheme and think of ways to make more money. We're very reluctant to give our money away. We rarely spend money. I was talking recently with a man who spent many, many years as a financial planner he had lots of wealthy clients over on the west side. He said, Dave, it was really strange. These clients would work their whole lives for retirement, save several million dollars to live off, off of in their retirement age. They had plenty of money to spend on their grandkids and take nice vacations, but they couldn't bring themselves to spend any of their money. And they had tons of it. Why? Money had become for them a security blanket, and they couldn't bring themselves even to spend a little bit on themselves or their grandkids or whatever, nice vacations. 
or we work, work, work all the time, neglecting our responsibilities. When I was a sophomore in college, I worked three jobs one summer. I worked teaching tennis lessons at the Spokane Racquet Club. I worked on the grounds crew at Manitoba Golf and Country Club, mowing fairways, and I was a waiter at the Old Spaghetti Factory. I worked roughly 70 hours a week that summer. Why? Because I wanted to make lots of money and buy motorcycles and invest in the future. And that summer, my wonderful, sweet, petite, gracious mother came to me and said, essentially, Dave, you are working way too hard. You love money. And I said, well, Mom, if, if I take a week off to go on vacation with the family, I'm going to make less money. And she said, at this point, my dad was not a pastor. He made a lot of money selling insurance. He said, do you think your dad's in a different position? <laughs> if he takes a week off, he's not making money either. Take a week off and hang out with the family at Priest Lake. She got in my face because she knew I was working way too hard just to make more and more and more money. Now, there are seasons in life when we have to work really hard for a variety of reasons. Hard work is good. But often, our hard work is driven by a love of money and the things that money can buy. Money is not bad. Making lots of money is not bad. I think of the story I've heard many times. R.C. Sproul was talking to a young businessman who made lots of money. He said, R.C., I want to sell my business, and I want to be a pastor. And R.C. Sproul said, don't do that. Keep making lots of money and give it away to God's kingdom. The Church of Jesus Christ needs money to survive and to do ministry. So making money is not bad. Making lots of money is not bad. But it's very, very easy for us to love money too much. We often love money more than Jesus, yet this makes little sense. Why? One author says it like this. Judas loved money more than Jesus, but money is not God. Money's not alive. Money cannot raise the dead. Money cannot love you back. Money will not shepherd us. Money will not teach us truth. Money will not give itself in our place. Money is not at the right hand of God interceding for us. Money will not give us, give us its righteousness that we are justified before God. Mary understood this. Judas did not. Money is a means to an end. Jesus is an end in himself. There are two main characters in this story. Judas, who loved money, and Mary, who loved Jesus. Which one best represents us this morning? Judas denounced Mary for her extravagance. Which raises the question, who's going to defend her? And that brings us to the third and final point. First, extravagance demonstrated. Second, extravagance denounced. And third, extravagance defended. Jesus boldly defends Mary. Look with me at verses 7 to 11. Jesus said, leave her alone so that she may keep it for the day of my burial. Now, verse 7 is hard to understand. What exactly is he talking about here? Scholars are divided. Jesus could be saying that Mary unknowingly anointed him for his future burial. 
one possibility, or it could be saying that the small amount of perfume left in the jar could be used to anoint Mary or anoint Jesus for his future, future burial. Again, scholars are divided. Either way, the point is simply this. Jesus is defending Mary's extravagance. What she did was good and right and honorable, and Christ defends her act of extravagant generosity. Verse 8, Jesus says, For the poor you will always have with you, but you do not always have me. When the large crowd of the Jews learned that Jesus was there, they came, not only on account of him, but also to see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. So the chief priests made plans to put Lazarus to death as well, because on account of him, many of the Jews were going away and believing in Jesus. The religious leaders are so jealous of Jesus, they plot to kill his star witness, Lazarus, whom he just raised from the dead. Their hearts are hard and their consciousness are seared. A very, very dangerous place to be. But let's go back to verse 8 for a moment. And this is the key component of this defense. Jesus says, defending Mary's extravagance, for the poor you always have with you, but you do not always have me. As he defends this extravagant act of generosity, he says, you will not always have me with you. Why does he say this? Because he knows he is about to leave them by way of the cross. He knows that in a short period of time, he's gonna stand on trial, be falsely condemned, and then suffer and die for the sins of the world. His death, burial, and resurrection are exactly what makes him so valuable to us. The cross is why he is worthy of our greatest acts of extravagance. Why should we love him extravagantly? Because he's loved us extravagantly. He gave up everything for us on the cross. He gave up wealth, honor, privilege, position, dignity, relationship with God, and innocence. The Son of God suffered and died for you on the cross. Why? Not because you're worthy. Not because I'm worthy. But to make us worthy. Motivated by extravagant love. And as a result, you and I get all the benefits of the gospel that came at incredible cost to Jesus. And these benefits can't be earned. They can't be bought. They are given freely and they cost Jesus everything. This gift of extravagant love is free of charge. No matter how righteous you are, no matter how much you read your Bible and pray and go to church and avoid doing all those bad things, you could never ever be good enough or worthy enough to earn this gift. God gives it to us freely, free of charge. And all you have to do is receive it with the eyes of faith. And when you do, you receive all the benefits 
of Christ's sacrifice, forgiveness of sins, freedom from shame, freedom from the power of sin, adoption by God Almighty, the hope of heaven, and God's promise to work all things for your good and his glory. Is there a more extravagant gift? No. This is the greatest gift one could ever receive. Here's the thing. The more we understand the gospel, the more generous you and I become. For two reasons. We treat others the way we think God has treated us. And in the gospel, God's been incredibly generous to us. Furthermore, through the gospel, you have access to relationship with God. And if you know God, you can experience the greatest joy possible. More joy than all the money in the world could ever give you. Through the gospel, we realize we don't need money to make us happy. Therefore, we can give it away freely and extravagantly because we have Jesus. If you're stingy, it's because the gospel has not penetrated your heart enough. That's the bottom line. And if we're generous, it's because we understand the gospel more and more and more. Over the years, some very wealthy people have given extravagant gifts to the world. I found a list this week of some of the most extravagant gifts ever given. J.K. Rowling, author of the Harry Potter books, has given away $160 million. That's magical. A few of you got that. Oprah's given away $240 million. Andrew Carnegie gave away $350 million, which is worth a lot more today. That was roughly 120 years ago. Mark Zuckerberg, founder of Facebook, has given away $2.7 billion. George Soros has given away $12 billion. Azim Hashim Premji has given away $21 billion. Not bad. Bill and Melinda Gates have given away $28 billion. Warren Buffett has given away $48 billion. But the most extravagant giver of all time is someone you've probably never heard of. I'd never heard of him until I read this article. His name was Jamsetji Tacha. Jamsetji Tacha was an East Indian industrialist who died in 1904. He essentially created all the infrastructure for modern India. Since his death... His charitable trust has given away a staggering $102.4 billion. Maybe you didn't hear me. $102.4 billion. All these gifts, all these givers are incredibly extravagant. It's hard to even imagine having that much wealth and even harder to imagine giving it away. But here's the thing. If you owned all the wealth in the history of the world and then gave it all away to Christ and his kingdom, that would not be too extravagant. Because God the Father Almighty has given you the most extravagant gift 
imaginable. A gift of infinite extravagance. He's given us his son. Let's pray together.